You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. You know, he spent a lot of time in, in, uh, in jail. This wasn't his first time in jail. The Apostle Paul actually spent many uh, months and years in jail. In fact, in this letter that he is writing, he has now been in jail and prison four years at this time. Two years he was in jail in Jerusalem and then dragged across the Mediterranean after a shipwrecked and dragged across Italy. And now he's been in jail in Rome for two years. But he's writing to a church that he planted 11 years earlier in a city called Philippi. It's the letter to the Philippians. What's interesting, though, is he was actually in jail in Philippi as well. He's been in and out of jail almost his whole life, arrested in almost every city that he preached the gospel in. Why was he arrested? It wasn't because he was dealing drugs. It wasn't because he liked a good barroom fight. It's because he simply opened his mouth to proclaim the gospel of Jesus in a culture that didn't like that. In a culture that felt like the gospel of Jesus in its exclusive message of Jesus only was divisive in a community that thrived upon extreme tolerance. Now, tolerance is good, but acceptance of all beliefs is not what the Bible ever asks us to do. In fact, it says Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. He's not just one of the ways or one of the uh, truth. He is the only way to the Father. Those are the words of Jesus. And the Apostle Paul was very bold about the words of Jesus, so he was often arrested, often beaten, often left for dead. At this point, he'd been in jail for four years, a lot of time to think, and a lot of time to write. A lot of the letters in the New Testament actually came from times when he was incarcerated. We're reading one of them right now, Philippians. Some of the others were Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. These are letters that we know that were written during incarceration for the Apostle Paul. Some also believe that portions of uh, 2 Timothy and Titus were also during possible uh, times in prison. He missed his friends and he missed the road. He often wrote to encourage them to keep the faith and to stand firm, but he also wrote about how much he missed a friend. And he missed relationships, and he missed seeing the people who he poured his life into. He had a lot of time to mope. Uh, mope. He had a lot of time to sulk. He had a lot of time to get bitter, but he didn't. In one of the darkest seasons of his life, in a Roman prison, he was facing possible execution by having his head cut off. But what does he write about? Not this world sucks or boycott the government, don't buy anymore or go to any more Disney movies. He didn't say, march on the steps of Rome and demand my freedom. No, what he says is there's joy. There's joy in the midst of this chaos and confusion. He's in prison. His dreams are washed away of going to Spain, which he often wrote about and talked about. He says, but I rejoice because God is using this to pave the way for others to know Jesus. In chapter 1, he finds joy in his trials and suffering. And instead of asking why, God, why, he asked, now what, so what, and guess what, no matter what, I win. That was last week. Today, we're going to pick up right where we left off. We're going to do a slight rewind and go to Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, because it has to do with what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about being one mind and one spirit, what it means to be in unity. So let's dive in. Verse 27, chapter 1, it says, whatever happens, that means I may not get out of prison, I may die here, whatever happens, this may be the last time you hear from me, so whatever happens, he says, conduct yourselves in a manner 
worthy of the gospel of Christ. That means whatever happens, let me hear that your life reflected Jesus. No matter what happens, let me hear that you lived a life that honored the Jesus who you claim to have. Don't take the name if you're going to profane. If you're going to take on the name Christian, then act like Christ, he says. He says, then whatever, uh, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, he says, I will know that you, and if you have your Bible, you can underline this, I know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. He's immediately going, man, let me hear that you are standing in unity without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed. That means let those that oppose you, let God deal with them. He'll take care of them. You just stand strong in unity together. He says, uh, but this is a sign that they will be judged, but that you will be saved, and that by God. God's in charge of it all, so let's let God deal with it. So one mind, one spirit, as one man, what does that even mean? So let's take a look. What is the big deal about unity? Why is it important for us to, to you know, theoretically lock arms and to be in service together for the kingdom? What is the big deal? Well, he gives us three reasons in this little couple verses before we dive into what unity looks like. We're going to find out why unity is important in these first few verses. The first thing is this. The first thing he says is that we are stronger together. We're stronger together. It says, conduct yourselves worthy of the gospel. Then he says, I will know you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one. There's this we challenge, we encourage, we sharpen each other. When we stand firm, he says, if you're living a life that honors Jesus, that tells me that you are standing firm in unity together. You see, our life is a direct reflection of our unity with each other. You are who you hang around with. The Bible talks about this a lot. You know, the type of people that you hang around are the people that you will become. So if you're hanging around rude people, you will be rude. If you're constantly hanging around vulgar people, you will be vulgar. If you're hanging around people who are generous and kind, you will become a generous and kind person. He says, let me hear that you live a life that's worthy of the gospel. He goes, then I will know that you stand firm together as one spirit. He says, when you stand together in unity, you're stronger together. And I love this picture that he gives. Our relationships directly affect our life choices. Some of you guys, man, I'm trying to turn my life around. That's great. It's important that we remain people in our lost friends' lives that we can reach and talk to and be with. But our primary circle of influences needs to shift, needs to change. We are stronger together to resist temptation. When we are together with other followers of Christ, if you are a Christian, you're more likely to resist foolish choices. As you encourage each other, as the Bible says, iron sharpens iron, we're stronger in times of struggle. You know, when you hit a wall in your spiritual life, when your marriage is on the rocks, when you feel like, you know, you're just struggling to keep your family together and your finances are falling apart, we're stronger together. You know, the Bible gives us 59 one another's in the New Testament. 
love one another, cherish one another, laugh with one another, pray with one another, cry with one another, encourage one another, be patient with one another. There's 59 different one another's. You know what they all have in common? They require another. <laughs> they require one another. And all of those one another's are directed towards Christian-to-Christian -to -Christian relationships. Every one of them. In fact, the entire New Testament was written to the churches that were trying their best to follow Jesus. So the Apostle Paul, Peter, they were like, love one another, be with one another. In order to do that, you got to be with one another because we are stronger together. That's why unity is important. Here's the second reason. We are braver together. And I like what he says. He says, conduct yourselves, he says in this way, he says, contending as one man, some translations say as one mind or one man for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. He says, man, when you stand together, you are stronger together. All right, I'm just curious, old, old, you know, old before Christ, Raise of hands, all right? How many of you have ever been in a, in a fight before? Just raise your hand. Have you ever been in like a fight? <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's pretty interesting. <laughs> I was going to say cool, but it's not cool. Stop fighting. All right. But here's the deal. How many of you would say, I won the fight? Put your hand and say, you know, I think I won that fight. Tony, do you ever fight? No? All right. <laughs> I didn't know if maybe you raised your hand earlier and you didn't raise it because you'd never won. All right. <laughs> so, how many of you won the fight? All right. Now, when I'm talking about fight, I'm talking like a, like a fist fight. All right. Like a knockdown, drag out. All right. So, man, there's a lot of you guys. All right. Now, how many of you fought with somebody? How many was like behind you, got your back? Anybody ever fight with somebody? Okay. You guys like a couple of, now you notice a lot of those people that raised their hand that won, they're very similar, <laughs> they're the same people that said I had somebody fighting with me, you know. Now, and, and maybe even lost, but you were braver <laughs> because that person was beside you. You know, it's like, it's like when, you, when, you, when you stand up to fight uh, and it's just by yourself, you're like, I can take you down. Right, but you know we are gonna kill you. You know when it's like a group and you got somebody beside you. There's that sense of bravery just by knowing you're not alone. And the Apostle Paul says, he says, you know what? When you stand in unity together, when you stand as one man for the faith, he says, man, you're not afraid anymore. You're not, uh, you know, in fear. You're, you're not. A, you're not worried about what other people are gonna say when you stand arm in arm with others in Christ. He says, I can be brave when I know you have my back. We can be brave. See, I can stand strong in the faith knowing that I'm not alone. I can face opposition in my life when I know I've got other brothers and sisters in Christ behind me. I can face my health problems when I know I'm not alone. And I've got Christian friends who are encouraging me and supporting me and being my strength on the days I don't feel so strong. I had cancer in 2009, and one of the greatest experiences of that whole year were many people in our church and friends in my life who were Christians that stood up and prayed for me and came by and checked on me and encouraged me and just loved on me. I felt like I could soar through that experience in large part because God sent other Christians in my life and I was braver because of you. Many of you were there in my life. And we are able to face those accusers when we are 
with another person, when we know that we have someone, those that try to bring me down, it's great, man. When I, you know, you're feeling depressed, you're feeling attacked, but you get that phone call, you get that text message from a friend. He says, I'm, I'm praying for you today. I'm thinking of you, man. You're a man of God or you're a woman of God. And you get that letter in the mail. All of a sudden, you know what? It doesn't matter what anybody says to me uh, at work or what my family thinks about me because I know I'm braver, I'm stronger because I've got this friend, this Christian friend beside me. He says, you make me brave. He's, he says to his friends, he says, God you know, he causes us to be bold, but he says there's something about being together that makes us brave. Together in unity, we are the voice of God loud. He says, together, we're braver. Look at Philippians 1.29. He says, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. That's a true definition of Christianity. One who believes in Jesus and one who suffers for Jesus around the world, this is a daily reality. Verse 30 says, since you're going through the same struggle you saw that I had and now hear that I still have. Paul says, look at my life. He says, rest assured the trials I have, you're going to have too. You're starting to feel them even now, he says. He says, remember, we have each other. He goes on to say Philippians 2.1, where we're going to kind of focus uh, on, the, on chapter 2 today. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, if any comfort from God's love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, basically saying if you've ever been encouraged in Jesus, if you've ever been comforted by Jesus, if you've ever felt the love of God or given compassion by Jesus Christ, then do this for me, he says. Then he says, then make my joy complete, make my joy, again, he talks about joy, he says joy 14 times in Philippians, he's in prison facing possible execution, and all he can talk about is the joy of knowing that he's not alone. And he says, make my joy complete. How? By being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and of one mind. He says, do this for me. If I never get to hug your neck again, if I never get to see you, do this. This would fill my life with joy. This would make my life complete. This, if you could just get along, if you could just learn to be in unity, if you would stop arguing and bickering and just join arms because you're stronger together, you're braver together. And then this is the third reason, he says, because we are complete together. He says, you want to make my joy complete? Be in unity. Have one spirit. Be of one mind because it produces joy. Our joy is complete together. What does that mean? That means when we are together, we bring a richness to each other and to each other's lives. I'm a richer person because of you. One of my favorite movies of all time is looked at as a Christmas movie, but it's really a movie about all kinds of stuff. But it's a wonderful life. That's my favorite movie of all time. And there's a, the, the angel Clarence wrote in his little book, you know, his Thomas Sawyer book. He says, no one is is poor who has friends, basically the richest. And then they called him the richest man in town, right? And it wasn't because he had a basket full of money that people were giving him. It's because in his living room was a, was a room filled with a town, people who'd been praying for him that night that he tried to commit suicide. And he had this whole thing. He said, man, you're the richest man in town. 
Because no man is for who has friends, right? That's kind of the big story, you know, emphasis of the story is that your life is valuable and it's important. But I, I think back of what Paul was saying is, you know what? You make my life rich. You make my life valuable in how we spend time together. See, that's why we want you to be in a life team because your joy is made complete in our unity together. You know, it's great. You know, I want to be honest. I sit across couples all the time and do marriage counseling and, and do a couple preparation for marriage. And you know what? Your husband, wife will never fulfill all the needs that you have relationally. Husband, your wife will not be able to fulfill all of your needs relationally because women, you need friends that are women that can be women in your life to encourage you and challenge you and make you richer. Men, we need men in our life who will stretch us and challenge us and push us to be better men for our family and for our wives. We need those relationships and without them, we are a bit incomplete. God designed us to need each other and we are richer, our joy is made complete with each other, turn to your neighbor and go, you complete me. Some of you guys know what that's from. Go ahead, turn to your neighbor and say, you complete me. <laughs> I will hear it. All right. And then the other person, take their, your finger and do this with their lips. That's also from the movie. You had me at hello. All right. Psalm 133, one says this. He says, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And that's just like, that's good. That's pleasant when we're hanging out together. That's not what it means. Good, that's that sense of wholeness and peace. And how pleasant, that means fulfilling. How whole and how complete and how fulfilling it is when we dwell, when we hang out, when we live our life in unity together. Philippians references the mind of Christ or our mindset over 16 times. You see, a self-centered Mindset suffocates our joy, but a God-focused others mindset unleashes joy in our life. And that's how they work together. So what Paul then does is he shows us what unity looks like. But before we do, I want to tell you what unity is not. This is what unity is not. Unity is not about liking the same things. You know, a lot of us think, well, to be in unity, to have this person as my friend or to go to this church or to hey, be a part of that small group or that life team, you know, I just feel like I, I want people to like the same things I like. You know, you're going to have close friends that like the same things you like. Don't raise your hand because I'm going to ask a question. But those of you that are married, many of you know your wife and your husband, they don't like the same things as you. There are things that I like that... That my wife doesn't like, I like to rock hard. I like rock and roll. I like heavy metal music. You're like, what? I do. I like all kinds of music, but I really like it hard. You know, I had one of my best friends growing up in Bible college. He always kept drumsticks under his seat. And we'd get in the car, we'd crank up, <laughs> this will throw back Striper or something, right? A Christian heavy metal from the 80s. He'd pull out his sticks from underneath the seat and just go to town on his dashboard and on his steering wheel. We'd be like rocking out in the car, you know. I still go to striper concerts. They're not my favorite group, but I like heavy bands, you know. And Nicole, my wife, she doesn't like heavy music, you know. I like all kinds of music, so I can like the music she likes, but she doesn't like the music I like generally. Certain movies, you know, she could see a comedy, a comedy romance on Lifetime or Hallmark every day, all day long. Same storyline, different characters. 
right? Same storyline, different characters, different city, you know, with the twist. <laughs> There's never a twist, but she's like, oh, you don't like this twist. I'm like, it's the same storyline. She loves those. I can't watch any of them. I get five minutes in, I'm like, that person's going to hook up with that person. That person's going to die. They're going to get poor. They're going to win. They're going to fall in love. That's going to twist a fate. She's going to die. And I was like, all that, you know, they're going to get married. There's a, in those Hallmark, usually there's, it's, it's, a, it's a romance. Somebody gets married a lot of times. And so, but I don't like those. She likes those. But the point is, you don't have to like the same thing to be in unity with somebody. You know, a lot of times, I want to like the same movies. I want to like the same hobbies. I want to like the same music. My wife and I, she's my best friend. And there's a lot of things we don't like. We are in unity. Because unity does not mean liking the same things. It's also not about looking the same. It's not about, well, you know, I want people to be the same age as me. I want, I want to be around the people that are my age or that the look like me or dress like me or of my nationality or, or, or have the same kind of style as me. I, I want people that, you know, that like tattoos because I'm into tattoos and I want all my friends to have tattoos or whatever. You know what? Being in unity does not mean you have to look the same. And that's what I love about the body of Christ is because we're all so different. If you really want to know what heaven's going to look like, the Bible tells us it's every tribe, every tongue, every nation, which means every culture and every way to approach life around the globe is going to be represented in heaven. If you've ever done mission work, man, and you're walking into some South American church or some church in some uh, interesting remote part of the world and the, the, you get to hear the music of the culture, man, they're lifting up the name of Jesus. And I love the people there. I feel in unity with them. It's not my music. It's not what I'm going to come home and say, we got to do this song. But I feel the sense of the unity of the Holy Spirit because that is what happens. Because unity is not about looking the same. It's not about age. And I love that. Our life teams are variety of ages. And, you know, in our church, we have seniors that hang out with young adults. And young adults, if you're smart, you will hang around with our seniors because they will impart into your life things you, you never knew. You know, there's a guy in our church who wears these spiked leather jackets, and I'm like, I'm, I'm anxious to hug him every week, but I got to be very careful. I might blow my ear out. Here's the third. Unity is not about doing the same things. Some people say, well, I, I want somebody who can play sports and do the same sports, plays golf with me or does volleyball or does, you know, um, creative dance, whatever, I just thought that was funny, uh, that does the same things, you know, as me. Or I want somebody who does, like, the same religious practice. I get up at 6 o'clock to pray every morning, and I want, I want a prayer partner, and I'm not going to be friends with anybody that doesn't get up at 6 o'clock and pray and at least have 20 verses a day memorized, you know, new verses. You know, your religious practices, you can be in unity with someone that doesn't get up at 6 o'clock in the morning to pray. You know, we have a whole group of people that prefer the 10.30 service because 9 o'clock is too early for them. You can be in unity with them. <laughs> some of you guys, you're a morning person and some of these people are not, you know, if you didn't have to go to work, you'd sleep till 12. We don't have to get up at the same time in order to be in unity. It also means politics. Some people are like, I like to do this politically. I like to support this person. I like to be part of this person. You know what? We don't have to have the same politics to be in unity. Here's another thing, uh, that unity is not about agreeing on everything. And this is important because this bleeds over into our theology. 
what we believe about God. There are certain essentials that we are to hold tightly to. The death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are to hold tightly to faith alone. That salvation is found through grace, through Jesus Christ alone. That, that it's not our works, it's not of ourselves. These are things we hold tightly to. That we hold tightly that one day Jesus is coming back. But there's a lot of differences in this room as to what that's going to look like. If it's going to be, you know, there's all kinds of big in time words. The word is phrases eschatology. It means study the end times. And there's people that believe that are amillennial, premillennial, postmillennial. There's those that are pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. There are those that are no-trib. There's people that have even in those sub-brackets more sub-brackets. And there's all these different views on how he's going to come back, when he's going to come back. It doesn't matter. What we hold tightly to is that he's coming back. But we can be in unity together and have a different view of what that looks like. And it's important that being in unity does not mean that we believe exactly on every single thing. But there are essentials that we hold on to tightly. In fact, the phrase that we use at our church is we must have unity in the essentials, liberty in the non-essentials, and charity or an attitude of love in all things. Even if we disagree, we're going to have an attitude of love because that sustains our unity. Our unity. We don't need to agree on the minors We just need to agree on the majors. Philippians 2 gives us an if-then scenario. This is what he says. If, verse uh, 1, he says, If you have any encouragement for being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with his spirit, if any tenderness, if any compassion, basically if God has done anything for you at all, if God's ever done anything for you, he says, then do this. Then I challenge you to do this. Then I challenge you to make my joy complete. The word joy there is kara, which means to have this calm delight, this sense of fulfillment. He says joy is not one minute uh, up and down the next. It is consistent. It's a spirit-filled calm. He says you want to walk in that sense of, of calm in the midst of a storm. You want to know what that is about and how it comes about. He says it's by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one in spirit, one in purpose. So then he tells us what it, unity looks like, and this is what it looks like. The first thing is this. Unity has a clear, unified sense of direction. This is, I said what unity is not. This is what unity is. He says it's like, he says it's like-minded, one in spirit and purpose. This is unity. Are we going in the same direction? Do we have a clear unified sense of where we are going as a church, as a person, as a family, as, as a community, as a small group, as, a, as, a, as friends. It's important to be on the same page, going in the same direction, clearly knowing who we are as a Christian and as a church. And this is important. This is what's beautiful about our church, I believe, is that we can have a variety of views on the non-essentials. But we have a clear view on the direction of purpose that we are to be as a church. Not every church has the same goals. Every church has the same mission, and that is to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. That's a true church of Christian, of, of Jesus Christ, is that we are all to know him and to make him known. Every church is a true church of Christianity, knows who Jesus is as God on earth with us, and that the death, burial, resurrection is our message, and that we proclaim the message to let people know. But every purpose of church is different. 
Some churches have a purpose to reach a particular type of people or to be in a certain type of neighborhood or to uh, grow to a certain size or to have a particular emphasis of ministry and influence. We all have the same mission, but we are to have different sense of purpose. Our church is really unique in that. I mean, you when you pulled up, we didn't have Living Way Church on the building. We don't have Living Way Church on the building because that's not our purpose. Our purpose is for you to know that we are unified together. We are the body of Christ. We are the church. This building is just a tool. This building will never be the church. The church is not a building. It's not brick and mortar and concrete and wood paneling. This is a tool of the church. So this place will be called the vibe because vibe means in Latin life or to live. This will be a place of life. And our purpose as our church is to proclaim Jesus and to use this place as a tool. And our eventual mission is to have this place open every day. That is our heart, to have it open every day. In some capacity, as a coffee shop, as a counseling center, as a place of benevolence and help and service, work programs every day. That's part of our purpose as a church, to be part of local missions and global missions. That is who we are. That's the mission of the vibe. Mark 3.25, Jesus says, a house divided cannot stand because to be in unity, we must be on the same page See, church is very fragile. Some of you, maybe you've been a part that, of a church that's fallen apart. They rise fast and they fall even faster. From the leadership to the people, we must be in one spirit and in one purpose, just as Paul said, unwavering in our mission. Here's the second thing that unity is. Unity has an authentic mutual love for each other. And if you have your notes, I want you to circle mutual. Because this is important, because unity is a reciprocal love. He says this, having the same love, being one in spirit. We might disagree on the minors, we hold true to the majors, and no matter what we love, we love each other, committed to loving each other. This same love, he says this is a reciprocal love. All right, this is how you know you're in unity with somebody. You don't just love them, but you feel their love too. You know, in ministry, maybe you guys who are in servant uh, ministries or volunteer, or maybe just in your relationships, you know what it's like just to give love, just to give it and give it and give it. It's exhausting. You know, and you give it because you care for them and you're never going to stop. And God has called you to just to love unconditionally and you do that. But you know you're in unity when you feel that love back. You know, what I'm, you know what I mean? You ever been in a relationship where you feel like all you're doing is giving and giving and giving and it's exhausting? It's like you're writing checks on an account and they're just cashing your checks and you, you just have no deposit from them, right? But what happens is when you find yourself in unity, you feel like, man, this person's investing into your life just as much as you are. there, And you feel richer when you hang out with them because it's a mutual reciprocal love. It doesn't just take, but it gives life too. This is how you know you're in unity with somebody. You walk away richer. You both feel richer. A love for Jesus, a love for his church, a love for his people. The next verse are some of the toughest verses to live out. In Philippians, he goes on to say, uh, verse 3 in chapter 2, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition 
or gain or vain conceit, but in humility. Here's the third thing that, that unity is. A unity has a totally different way of looking at life. See, a lot of times culture says look out for number one. Take care of yourself. You know, you watch these shows and like, they're like, it's time to think about me. I'm a mom. I've been thinking about my kids my whole life. It's time to put me first. It's time to, to do what I want to do for a change, I've heard men say. It's time to, to put myself at the front of the list, right? If, if there ha- that's an unhealthy relationship to, to begin to feel that way. But when you reach that point, you're really at an unhealthy place in life. And some of you are like, man, but I feel that way. It's time for me. It's time for me. Treat yourself, right? I mean, there's nothing wrong with treating yourself every now and then. But there's that sense of, I deserve more. And that's a problem because it shows that you're not in unity because unity has a completely different way of looking at life. See, it's, the Bible says this, like in love, love doesn't keep a record of wrong. That means you don't, you're not keeping track of what your wife said or what your husband said or what that guy, I'm going to make a note of that. That person's a real jerk. What's your name? Dan McCracken. Okay. You know? We're not keeping score because it it looks at life differently. It looks at life in a way that is not me first, but them first. Unity is a sense of humility that says, God, I want to look at their life as more valuable than mine. It's moved by different motives. It's a real heart check. Because the alternative to this is selfish ambition, conceit, and rivalry. That's what it says. If you don't understand humility, you will live a life in rivalry. The world's way. Unity is a heart issue. Humility is a trait of true unity. Because you ask yourself, why am I doing this? You know, why did you come to church today? Is this, you know, really something I want to be doing? Did you come here today to meet somebody? To pick up a girl. Some people, some guys, they go to church. They pick their church based upon the pool of girls to pick from. And sometimes, you know what? The motive is, is all screwy. You're not in unity with those people. You're not in unity with that church. You're there for selfish ambition. Some people, they come to church to settle some guilt issue with God. I'm feeling guilty and I want to feel better. I haven't been to church in a while. And I'm feeling bad. I need a little Pep talk, I need a little boost. I'm going to go to church to, to kind of heal some of that guilt. Man, check your heart because you're coming to relieve your own guilt, not worship or to know God who loves you and cares for you. Or maybe to meet an obligation or to take a break. Man, I'm going to church because I get at least an hour and a half with the kids in another room. I just need a break from the kids. Check your heart because unity is a whole different way of looking at life. I do have an announcement to make this morning before we wrap up. The announcement's a big announcement. I'm proud to announce that I am now humble. I've reached that point in my life where I have no more pride. Anybody believe that? Don't clap your hands because it's not true. The problem is most of us here think we're humble, but we're not. The problem is that we're not humble. We think more highly of ourselves usually than we ought to. Honestly, most of us, what we do is motivated out of selfish desires. What's going to happen to me? Is it in it? What's in it for me? Will I benefit from this? How will this affect me? How many of you would say, don't raise your hands, you would say that you often think this way. How does this benefit me? The Greek word for humility means modesty, a humility of mind or a lowliness or brokenness. 
It means to put oneself lower. See, the world says, look out for yourself. God says, humility. In the Old Testament, Isaiah 15, we get a picture of basically one of the, one of the wonderful creations of God that decided to turn his back on the Father himself. And we now know him as Satan. But when that day happened, when he decided, when he was kicked out of heaven, basically he was up there going, I'm sick of being second fiddle to God. I am sick of having a backseat to the glory. And there came a point when this angel who was beautiful in the eyes of God, who is a creation of God, said, I want to be like God. And he grasped for something that did not belong to him. He wanted to be like God, and God cast him down because when he grasped for something that wasn't his, he fell. Now, he continued that story in Genesis. When Satan appears before Adam and Eve and in the form of a serpent, he tempts them with the very same temptations that he had in his heart. He came as a serpent, and he says, you want more out of God, don't you? God is holding back something from you. You can be like God. You can have what he has. And they grasp for that fruit. They grasp for something that was not theirs, an intention that was not theirs to be had. And when you grasp for something that doesn't belong to you, you fall. They wanted to be self-centered. They wanted their life to be about themselves. The moment we try to grasp for what we do not own or what does not belong to us, we fall out of the presence and the power of the joy of the Lord. Chew on this for a second when it comes to humility and pride. These are a few thoughts. I'm going to hit these really fast. Chew on this. Pride is demonically inspired. Its roots are sinful with Satan. Humility is God-inspired, and it is a miracle when it takes place. Pride compares ourselves to others, while humility compares ourselves to Jesus. Pride leads to arrogance. Humility leads to confidence. Pride is about independence. Humility says we are dependent on God. You see, there's a huge difference in the way unity processes relationships than the world. When we start a change in the way we think, it results in a change in the way we act. Look at the next thing he says. In humility, he says, consider others better than yourself. That's the way we think. And each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. That's the things we do. Here's the fourth way you know you're in unity. Because unity places others first. It begins with the way you look at life, but it actually lives out in the way you live your life. Great sign of unity is when we actually put others ahead of ourselves, not just thinking about it, but actually doing it. Unity makes sacrifices for each other. Unity humbly serves the needs of others. You know, we come in like, I want the best seat. I want the first piece. I want the largest piece of the piece of the pie, piece of the cake, piece of the pizza. I want the closest parking spots. Woohoo, got here first. Sucker, walk in the back. Remember that old commercial? Must be in the front row, right? Maybe you don't remember that commercial. Basically, it says, I put your needs above my own. I think of the people who serve in our church, for example. You know, I get a, I get a little message beep every time somebody unlocks the church and turns off the alarm system. And every Sunday morning, 7 o'clock, bloop, my phone goes off. The band just disarmed the vibe. And I think, man. Those servants of the Lord, whoever it is that's here first. I don't know if it's Stephen, I don't know if it's Bobby, I don't know if it's Shauna, it could be anybody in the band, but they get here early and they serve. 
I think of those who sacrificed their energy and their convenience so that you could have worship. I think of those that sacrificed their time and their energy so that we could have kids' ministry. I think of those that come early to clean up the parking lot or to make coffee and to clean the bathroom so that you can bring a friend and know that this place will be clean. I think, see, this stuff doesn't just happen. There are people that sacrifice their time and their energy, their convenience, and put you first. We serve arm in arm in unity. We all have a role to play here. It sacrifices personal desires. I think of senior adults who place the next generation before themselves and put up with music that they don't necessarily like. I know a lot of seniors in our church or older adults who miss the hymns, but they put up with our worship because they believe in you. They're putting you above themselves. And I think of, of those older in our church who miss the good old days of the suit and ties, which I do not miss one bit. But they, you know what? They, they still might wear their suit and tie, but they are released of that for you because they're thinking of you. True unity can get uncomfortable. And I think of those who walk arm in arm during times of struggle. I think of how when we fall and when we stumble and when we make poor mistakes, how God is there to pick us up and be there for us. Habits and hardships, we stand together. Joy is made complete, he says, when we humbly serve each other and look out for each other. The next part is this, Philippians 2.5, and actually I'm going to end it here and I'm going to pick up, uh, I'm not going to finish the message, I'm going to pick it up next week, is this. Philippians 2.5, he says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. We mean to be of the same mindset. As Jesus went to the cross, he thought of us. And what happens next in Philippians is one of the most profound theological statements in all of the Bible. As the Apostle Paul begins to unpack how the God of all creation became a man, humbled himself to the point of crucifixion on a cross where he was arrested tortured, beaten, stripped, and hung on a cross in the, one of the most violent and gruesome ways for a person to die. And he embraced every blast of that nail into his wrist and feet. He embraced every whip of that cat of nine tails on his back. He embraced the crown of thorns as he cried out in agony. He embraced the pain because he was putting you first. That's the humility that Paul says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. We're going to unpack that rich theological statement next week, but I want to ask you a question. What is your mindset? If your mind is set on yourself all the time, your pursuits, looking out for number one, it will be hard to ever be in unity with others and to serve others. I've heard roses are red, violets are blue, I'm a schizophrenic, and so am I. There are times when we are so impassioned for God and then become selfishly motivated and consumed with our own pleasures and convenience. Spiritually passive, when that happens, joy immediately leaves. I think of James 1 where he says, a double-minded man is unstable in all that he does. Unfortunately, many of us live very unstable, double-minded lives rather than a single-minded life. So as we pray, I want to talk to you a little bit about my coffee and I end with this. I used a mug today. I like coffee. Anybody here like coffee? 
I've only been drinking coffee for about 14 years, and now I drink it all day. Um, I, in the morning, I hook an IV in right here. Actually, I drink coffee all day. I drink it before I go to bed. It doesn't keep me up. Last night, I literally laid in bed and had coffee. I like all kinds of coffee. I like black coffee. I like cookie, uh, co- cookies. I like cookies too. I like coffee black. I like it with cream. I like it with sugar. I like it with sweet and low. I like it with Splenda preferred. I also like it with stevia. And I drink it in all kinds of ways. I like the lattes. I like the cappuccinos. I like the espressos. I just like coffee. I don't have a particular brand that I like. I like them all. Is it coffee? Yes, count me in. I like coffee. But I often think when I go to specialty coffee shops, I usually get the latte. Why the latte? Because it has yummy shots of espresso, but it has two other layers. It also has a layer of cream. So it's like espresso, which is shots of coffee, high-end coffee, you know, just, you know, lots of caffeine coffee. And then it has cream, you know, this kind of milk, foamed, uh, steamed milk. And then on top it has foam. So it's a three-level drink. And, and I love it. Sometimes I drink it with sweetener. Sometimes I don't. But you know what makes a latte beautiful? All three parts. All three parts working together to make one incredible tasty drink. And I think about that's how the church operates. We're all different. Some of you are high caffeine people, right? Meaning you're just hyper. You're, some of you are just naturally outgoing, talkative. You know, you give me something to do, man. I'm just, and then some of you are like the foam. <laughs> you're like, just, you know, let me finish up everything. And then some of you are the, the, the milk in the middle. Just put me behind the scenes. I'll clean up stuff. I'll straighten the chairs. You know, we all have a part to play. And I often think, you know, sometimes... We're just better together. We're just better together. We're more flavorful. So I want to encourage us as we think about the new year and as we move further into Philippians, where does God have you in our church, in our body, in our place? It's time to quit flying solo and to be thinking more on the oneness of unity. Maybe God has put it in your heart to serve, to put others first for a change because that's what unity looks like. Maybe it's time to get involved in a small group, in a life team, because that's where family really takes place in the body of Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you so much, Lord, for the cross of Jesus Christ. The Lord, you humbled yourself for our sake, for our sin. You became sin so that we might be without sin. God, thank you for that. God, that model, that example of what you did for us is the same attitude or mindset that we are to have with each other. God, that same mindset of of sacrificial living and putting each other first, God, that is what you've called us to do. So, Father, I pray, Lord, as we begin to wrap up the service, God, I pray that we would search our hearts that by your spirit you would convict us, draw us to respond to this today with the challenge to pursue unity, to reconcile broken friendships, to plug into the body of Christ, to find how we fit and work together so that we can express ourselves in a full, rich way, Father. I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.